Why did the Scarecrow win the Nobel Prize? Why? Because he was outstanding in his field. <laughs> so, what's your name? Ezra. Ezra. And how old are you, Ezra? Seven. Do you want to be uh, a comedian when you're older? No. No? Where did you tell that joke today? The Apollo Theater. Ho, ho, ho. That's impressive for seven. Were you nervous? Mm, a bit. Yeah. Did people laugh at your joke? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you take a bow? Mm-mm. At the end with everybody, yes, though. Yeah. Would you want to tell a joke at the Apollo again someday? Maybe. Do you have any other jokes in your arsenal? Yes, but I can't really remember them. No? No knock-knock jokes at your disposal? Do you What's, like... Yeah. What's black and white and red all over? I'm not doing that. <laughs> Thank you, Ezra. Hey, yum's the word, haven't you heard? The yum's the word, it was started by a bird. My name is Robin. And her hair has lots of curls. Actually, I blow it out a lot. Two stories, some awkward. Like wedding the bed next to your boyfriend. Pretty funny and absurd. Like your boss tickling your side boob. So welcome all you nerds. And cool people, too. This is for everyone, except kids. Yum's the word. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Yum's the Word. I'm Robin Gelfenbein, and at the top, you heard a new voice, Ezra. Now, Ezra is my friend Rachel and David's seven-year-old son. I cannot believe he performed at the Apollo. That is so, so cool. Would you ever want to perform at the Apollo? Would I want to? Yeah. I don't know what I would perform. Yeah. Probably juggling. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you a juggler? No. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm a juggler. I'm juggling a million projects right. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just had a big week. I won my very first Story Slam, which was very exciting for me. Granted, it was at the Harlem JCC and not the Moth, but still, one of the judging teams even gave me a 10, which is the highest score you can get. So I was feeling pretty good about myself. Anyways, I always say that I am the Susan Lucci of the Moth uh, because I come in second all the time. The first time I ever went to the Moth, I came in second, and there have been a series of nights where that has still been the case. One night, I lost by a tenth of a point. Can you believe it was that close? That's tough. It was rough. It was really rough, especially because I was chosen tenth, which is like the sweet spot. But anyway, maybe this JCC win is a baby step to me winning a moth story slam very soon. Let's hope, right? Hoping. Okay, thanks, Alex. The other big thing that happened this week was I won my NCAA tournament pool for the first time ever. Thank you, Alex. Now, the reason why this was such a big deal is because my family are huge College Hoops fans. Huge. My parents met at UConn. My sister Lori went to UMass when they were really good. And my sister Jill played on the UConn women's soccer team who went to the Final Four. And then she played on the UConn women's basketball team who also went to the Final Four that same year. And they went undefeated. And they won the national championship. So huge Huge stakes in my family. Huge College Hoops fans. So needless to say, my family is a little bit competitive. So in that spirit, today's episode is all about small victories that have big meaning. 
or because I've been obsessed with Big Little Lies, which is this amazing show on HBO. You haven't seen it, have you, Alex? I haven't seen it. Oh, it's so good. It's so intense. It's the best finale. It's such tight storytelling. Anyway, it's super, super good. Uh, anyway, I've been obsessed with Big Little Lies. So today we are going to celebrate Big Little Wins. First up is Danny Artis. Danny, you may know from the live show, if you've been to the live show, because he's always in the back helping out, serving up ice cream cakes, and being just an all-around gem of a guy. He is a three-time Moth Story Slam winner who has told stories at UCB, The Magnet, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and we used to host another storytelling show together called A Very Special Episode. He's also one of the craftiest people I know. A crafty in like the like Michael's store crafty, not in terms of like pulling one over on people. <laughs> uh, he's also a Golden Girls enthusiast and a damn fun person to visit a bodega with. I know that sounds weird, but last month he and I went to a bodega together and it was an impressive bodega. Alex, they had everything super organized all the way to the ceiling and we were just marveling at it, which sounds super dorky, but it's a little dorky. It's incredibly dorky, but it was just like not your typical bodega. It was brightly lit. Things were organized. Like usually it's a bit of a shit show in there, right? I'm, I'm eager to go check it out. Yeah, you should. It's on East 4th and 2nd Avenue. <laughs> nice. I don't know what it's called, but it's it's good. Also, you know it's good quality because they had all the new Ben & Jerry's flavors there before <laughs> uh, most stores. So I'm just saying. Anyway, you can watch that story with Danny and me on our Instagram at Yum's Workshop. Anyway, all of that to say, this is Danny's story about the fierce competition that happened at his school auction when he was a kid. Um, so, fifth grade was a big year for me. It was a year of a lot of change. A new town, new school, new friends. Um, well, the first two were a given. The, the third one, not so much. Um, I had gone to the same school from preschool up through fourth grade, and I never had to make friends. We just were friends. And so I had never learned how to make friends. And so I started at this new school, and I figured out pretty quickly that it was going to be a challenge because at the very beginning of the school year, we had community circle where we all had to bring, it was show and tell, but we called it community circle. And we all had to bring things to sort of introduce ourselves to the class. And um, all of the other boys in class brought cleats and baseball mitts and trophies. And it's not that I didn't have any records of my athletic achievement, it's just that mine were participatory ribbons from figure skating class. <laughs> um, and I also thought it would be a great idea to bring a page from my Care Bears coloring book that I was, yes, it was Grumpy Bear. I was just super proud because I had colored in the lines completely with markers. Um, no, so, so I had, I had always felt growing up uh, a little different than, than the other boys. Um, but at my old school, like, they just let me be Storm when we played X-Men. And it was, it, it was fine that I always wanted to play Little Mermaid and wanted to be Ariel. Like, it just wasn't a problem. And, and so this was the first time, first time that I kind of felt that it mattered. And in lieu of actual friends, I dove into reading. And I read a lot of R.L. Stein, and I'm a sophisticated reader, so... <laughs> I was reading Fear Street, not Goosebumps. Thank you very much. Yeah. 
Uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. But my favorite, my absolute favorite, were Sweet Valley High. And, oh. I am amongst my people. <laughs> um, usually the response to that is, my sister read those, so thank you. It seems like you did. Um, excellent. So, so I, I, now it's less natural, but I, I, this was my hair color when I was 10. I was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed child growing up in Southern California, so as far as I was concerned, this was a documentary series that was preparing me for high school. <laughs> Sweet Valley High, if you don't know, is about blonde hair, blue-eyed, identical twins, Elizabeth and Jessica Wakefield, and it follows their adventures and misadventures in school and love. And um, I knew that by reading it, I was ready for high school. Now, it probably did not help my cause that I read these books during every recess and every lunch, and whenever anybody came up to me and asked, what are you reading? My answer was, a book. And I went like that. But by the end of the school year, I did manage to make some friends, all girls. And I also, in the last few weeks of school, got my first girlfriend. Yeah. Her name was Shannon, and we bonded over the fact that we both considered our favorite breakfast food to be French toast. Because when you're 10 years old, that's all it takes. And we did, we did all of the things that young couples do. We went to Sandra Bullock romantic comedies, and we compared the flavors of the crayons at Red Robin. And, <laughs> and it, was, it was a beautiful thing. And, you know, there were, there were maybe some signs that I wasn't meant to have a girlfriend. Um, Sweet Valley High, figure skating. Um, but the biggest sign was Kevin. Uh, Kevin was also uh, new to the school that year, and so we, you know how that happens with the new kids, you sort of get forced together, and Kevin just always looked like he had come in from the cold, he just had like these little pink cheeks, and I remember very clearly, very clearly thinking, if I was a girl, that I would think Kevin was cute. And when you are 10 years old, there's a big difference between thinking a boy is cute and identifying the circumstances under which you would think he was cute. And I was not ready to cross that line just yet. Um, now, going forward to the end of the school year that I went through admiring Kevin from afar and Shannon at the end of the year up close, um, <laughs> there was an auction arranged by the PTO and they had solicited donations from celebrities and TV shows and things like that um, of signed posters and memorabilia and the way that we were going to be able to bid on these items to send us off to middle school, it was our grand farewell from elementary school, was not with real money, but with money that we had earned for every page of reading we had done recreationally. So suddenly, <laughs> my lack of friends for the first eight months of the school year made me the richest boy in school. Much like the plot of Sweet Valley High number 16, Rags to Riches. <laughs> I had over $10,000, because we got $1 for every page that we read. There are 144 books in the series, y'all. Um, so the day of the auction, we had gotten, or prior to, the first day of, uh, prior to the day of the auction, we had gotten little brochures with an indication of all the items that would be up for bid. And so we were able to kind of choose where we wanted to spend our money. And there were a few things that I had kind of earmarked, like the Reese's Pieces calculator with buttons shaped like Reese's Pieces. 
um, the illustrated children's biography of Joan Baez. And, um, and one big item that I knew was going to be really popular that I needed to save up a lot of my money for because it's from a really popular TV show and I wanted to use that leverage of having the most money to win. So I set aside the bulk of my money for that. Now, to be fair, every student got a copy of Boys to Men's Cooley High Harmony CD so that no one would go home empty-handed. Um, just give you a little cultural, timely reference. I'm not old enough to have read Sweet Valley High in its first run, just so you know. It had been around a while. Um, there's nothing wrong if you are birthday people. I love you all. Um, so anyway, on the, on the day of the auction, I had my money set aside for my calculator and my book, and they came up for bid, and I got them because I had a lot of money. And Shannon, who was not quite the intellectual that I was <laughs> and did not have as much money as I did. Really wanted, uh, it was a lithograph of Garfield signed by Jim Davis. And so she asked if I would help if her money was not enough for it. And of course, because I was a good boyfriend, I said that I would. <laughs> and so her item came up for bid and it was a hot commodity. There were a lot of bids for a Garfield autograph, or Garfield lithograph autographed um, in fifth grade with the 10-year-old set. And so the bids went higher and higher, and eventually she got through her money, and it was time for me to kick in. And it got very quickly down to me and Mike Kazanji, who had the second most money in school. And he didn't have a girl he was bidding for. So we kept going higher, and it, the bids were going up by hundreds of dollars, which is the equivalent of a Sweet Valley High book at a time. And it's going higher and higher and higher. And it's just the two of us. Everyone else has dropped out. And it gets to the point that I have reached the cap of what I have set aside for Shannon's Garfield lithograph because I need my item too. And she says, you know, oh, please, Danny, I feel like he's going to drop out really soon. Please keep going. And to be fair, I had, I had made some savings on my Joan Baez illustrated biography. So I had a little extra money. So I kept bidding and I kept bidding hit a point where I was not going to have enough money. And in perhaps the most glaring sign that I was just not meant to have this girlfriend, at least, sold to Mike Kazanji. Yeah. But I didn't have time to mourn. I didn't have time to feel too bad for her because my item was coming up soon. And I had to gear up. And, and at this point, because Mike Kazanji had spent most of his money, so there was no one in my way. It was happening. I was ready. I was going to spend as much as it took. And so the opening bid came in. I bid. Somebody else bid higher. I bid again. Then nobody else bid. Because apparently, I had slightly overestimated the popularity of this particular program with the fifth grade set. Um, but no matter, I was the proud owner of an 8 by 10 glossy photograph signed by the entire cast of the Golden Girls. <laughs> Spin-off, Empty Nest. <laughs> yes, um, which also starred Estelle Getty. <laughs> As, as curmudgeonly neighbor Sophia Petrillo. And, and I have it here for And so, Dreyfus signed it too, the, the dog. Um, and so, although 
Shannon was not only my first girlfriend, but my last girlfriend. <laughs> and I started paying a little bit closer attention to some of those signs. I will always have my golden girl. That was Danny Artis. You can find Danny on Twitter at Dearest Alien. I have no idea the origin of that name. I've actually never asked him. Do you? No. I have no idea what that means. We're going to have to get to the bottom of this. Okay, next up is my seven-year-old niece, Morgan. This is a little snippet from our conversation where she told me about a big victory she had for a little kid. Hello. Hi, Morgan. Hi. How are you? Good. Morgan, you've got some very big news. I would love to hear about what happened yesterday. What did you do for the first time yesterday? Lacrosse. Lacrosse. And what was that like? It's awesome. Why was it awesome? I, I scored a goal. Wow. Ooh. Good job, Morgan. Uh, and it was only my first year, first real game, and I only had two practices. You only had two practices, and this was your first game, and you scored a goal? Uh-huh. How did that feel? Awesome. Yeah? Did you get a lot of people cheering and clapping for you? Uh-huh. Did you give yourself a high five? No. Yeah. <laughs> but, my, but my friends did. That's wonderful. Uh-huh. And what did Mommy and Daddy do on the sidelines when you scored your goal? They stood up and cheered. And what about Ben? Ben, what did you do? Oh, it was really funny. He, he like got up and yelled, Yay, Morgan! <laughs> That's great. Happy Passover. <laughs> Happy Passover to you, Morgan. Thank you so much. I'm excited to see you guys this weekend. All right. Happy Pesach. Happy whatever you said. <laughs> You're funny, Morgan. Oh, you're such a good little Jew, Morgan. She is so damn cute. Now, if you enjoy the bits from Morgan, Auntie, the stories, of course, and more, why not give us a quick rating and review on iTunes? Not only will it boost our ratings, but you will help spread the word to other podcast listeners. You know what that's called in Hebrew, Alex? What is that called in Hebrew, Robin? A mitzvah. A mitzvah. And if they don't do it, do you know what that's called? <laughs> my, my gut reaction was shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Uh, Ashonda. You don't want to commit Ashonda, especially when it comes to podcast ratings and reviews. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Next up is Morley McBride. Morley is a Moth Story Slam winner and a design strategist, consultant, and facilitator. After the recent Pepsi ad fiasco, I knew I had to share this story that she told back in 2014. This is her tale of the small revenge she got when she was working at an ad agency she hated. So, I have a nasty habit of graduating during recessions. In 2002, in 2002, I moved west to San Francisco, fresh out of college, and just in time for the dot-com bust. I remember the shock of sort of arriving at this independent adulthood and thinking to myself, how did this happen? How did I become an adult? I don't know how to do anything. My resume literally fits on a cocktail napkin. I'd only worked at a bar. 
I don't have any credit history, and my bra size is still so small. <laughs> but nevertheless, I had indeed arrived in the real world and into a job market that was really tough. People were getting laid off right and left in the Bay Area, and these were really smart people. These were like PhDs and people with full-on B-cups. So I felt, <laughs> I felt really, really lucky when I did get a job at an advertising firm as a receptionist. And I basically became the office runt. I made coffee, I made copies, I helped people falsify their expense reports. I basically did anything and everything that nobody else wanted to do. And I absolutely hated it. So to add insult to injury as a cost-cutting measure, the firm decided to fire their travel agency. They were like, we don't need a travel agent, we'll just get the receptionist to do it for us. She seems nice enough. This is pre-kayak, people. So in between, in between answering phones, I'm on the phone all day negotiating with airlines and managing the travel itineraries and schedules in the entire office. And booking travel to me is like my own personal hell. I was raised in a very thrifty New England family, so I hate spending money. Even if it's not mine, I don't care. It still stresses me out. And I'm a Libra, so I ponder every option, and I still can't make decisions. So I find myself in a sort of constant state of stress and anxiety every day, all day. But as a receptionist, there's really no place to show that. You're sort of imprisoned by this huge desk, everyone can always see you, and you're essentially contractually obligated to smile. So I basically was going in every day and pretending like things were fine, but underneath all these professional pleasantries, a real storm was beginning to brew. Soon enough, this job started to affect my normal life. I found that I didn't really want to go out with friends anymore or meet or even speak to anyone new uh, for fear that they would ask me about my job. And kind of to ease the pain, I went home one night and made this t-shirt with iron-on letters that just said, I am not a travel agent. And I would end up putting this shirt on every time I came home just to remind myself and make myself feel better. My daily routine, I come home, I put down my bag, change into the shirt, get a beer, go sit on the couch. It was like a perverse version of an opening scene from a Mr. Rogers episode. <laughs> so I spend my days, you know, putting on a good face, but basically like secretly plotting the exquisite deaths of everyone in the office while daydreaming how I was going to quit when the time came. I had these elaborate schemes like, I'm going to flip the desk over, which would have been a miracle in itself because it was like essentially cemented to the ground. It was one of those huge L-shaped like office desks. But my only, my only sort of happy time during the day was lunchtime. I would raid the kitchen, the office kitchen for any free food, like Twizzlers or popcorn or... Um, uh, the instant oatmeal, like anything that I could just get for free, but I would splurge next door at the bodega on my favorite, which was an ice cold Diet Coke. I would say of all the world's spices, Diet Coke is mine. I have been addicted to it since childhood, unfortunately, because both my parents drank it. And I don't know if you know any Diet Coke fanatics, but like, there's not, it's not like a negotiable choice. There's no <laughs> substitute. We're very loyal people. Um, so I'm sitting there during the day, you know, behind this desk, enjoying my Diet Coke, the sweet aspartame fizz of it. <laughs> and then I get called into the partner's office because I'm told there's an issue. And I'm like, shit, they are totally onto me. They seem through this polite facade that I loathe this job and I love every single one of them. <laughs> so I walk into the partner's office and there's, you know, this Don Draper-esque man sitting on the other side of the desk for me. He's the, the type of partner that calls you hun and only flies in direct flight business class aisle seats. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, hun, I've got a problem.
problem with your drinking. And I'm like, my what? <laughs> He's like, you know you can't be drinking a Diet Coke up there. It's going to be hell if the client sees you. Forgot to mention, which you probably should now, that this firm's largest client was Pepsi. <laughs> it had been for 40 years. There's actually Pepsi products all over this office. I actually had in my possession the key to the vending machine because one of my exquisite tasks was to open the door and let the Pepsi man come in and restock it. That was one of my you know, many exciting, exciting jobs as a receptionist. So anyway, I sort of smile and nod to Don Draper and tell him, like, totally understand his concerns, and continue to drink a Diet Coke every day at that desk, but now with a post-it note wrapped around it that just says Pepsi. <laughs> so that, that move should have tipped them off that something else was lurking beneath my smile and nods, but I didn't, for, for whatever reason. Um, and so eventually I did find a new job, and on my last day of work, I woke up super early, wanted to work before anyone else was there, and I stopped on my way in to buy a Diet Coke, as usual, but this time I bought a whole case of it. And I went straight to the kitchen and opened that vending machine in the dark, all alone, and sprinkled Diet Coke cans through every selection of Pepsi's, the Mountain Dews, everything. I put them sort of randomly, but strategically throughout the entire machine and then locked it and threw the key in that sort of cavernous receptionist desk and never mentioned it to anyone. <laughs> and a couple weeks later, sitting at my new job, I got an email from one of my old colleagues that just said, today I got a Pepsi out of it, or today I got a Diet Coke out of the Pepsi machine. Figures. <laughs> I can't take full credit, but I will say that this firm, after a four-year history, is no longer uh, Pepsi's agency of record, and I'm pretty sure they've learned to hire a travel agent by now. <laughs> Thank you. You can't find Morley on Twitter, but you can find her in Colorado, where she has her Diet Coke addiction mostly under control. All right, our next live show in May is shaping up to be one of our biggest yet. It's on Tuesday, May 23rd in the big room at Le Poisson Rouge. You probably didn't know that, did you? Oh, I did not. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes, it does. Thank you. It's that big, right, Alex? That big. Yep. It's definitely that big. It is that big. That show will sell out fast, so grab your tickets on our site at yumsthewordshow.com. And finally, would you or your organization like to learn how to tell your own story? Check out our Storytelling 101 workshops. They're great for being a better presenter, connecting with colleagues, selling ideas through, and more. You can find all the info for that on our site at yumsawardshow.com. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The podcast is produced by me, Robin Gelfenbein, and Alex Fulton, who wrote some of the music. And the theme song is by Mark Radcliffe. Special thanks to Matt Fiddler, Michael Cedar, Danny Artis, Megan Deneen, Carly Patrone, Katie Riley, Morgan, and of course, Ezra. I'm Robin Gelfenbein. Thanks for listening. Happy 48th anniversary, Mom and Dad. Hope you get a piece. Well, maybe not <laughs> Mom and Dad. <laughs> maybe not Mom and Dad, or, or maybe, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to talk about it. And until next time, my family are huge College Hoops fans. Huge fans. My family. Fam. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yum's the word.